0: Well, good morning. My name is Dave Davis. I'm one of the pastors here. uh, And it's great to be with you this morning. I have uh, been gone a little bit. I've been traveling quite a bit in the month of October. And uh, I must tell you, the thought of writing a message about being more present while you're away from your family is a bit daunting. So I'm going to ask for your grace and your mercy today as I try my best to unpack what it is that God is teaching me about the rhythm of presence. This series, which began last week, was really birthed several months ago as we sat down as a team to brainstorm around things that we wanted our church to understand or to learn or to embrace as we moved very rapidly into what is arguably the most busy season of the year. Our intent was to create some space, a moment, a a place where we could just reflect on our lives and where God is taking us along this journey. That we would walk into the holiday season open-handed with a sense of, okay, God, I don't know what you have for me but I'm going to walk very slowly, very deliberately towards it. So last week, Ray started out by quoting an article out of Time magazine that was published in March, where it stated that Americans are getting increasingly more stressed out. Just recently, I was on a panel uh, talking on the subject of happiness. And there there was me the lone pastor, a happiness researcher, and a family system specialist. And on this panel discussion, the happiness researcher said something that was staggering to me. She said, over the last 50 years, there has been no statistical measurable uptick in our general happiness as Americans. That based on the research, over the last 50 years, we've not gotten any happier, despite unprecedented economic development, unprecedented technological advancements, the fact that we're living longer, that we're living healthier, we are no happier today than we were 50 years ago. Merry Christmas. (laughs) And so after the panel was over, I said, that is a staggering thing that you just said. Why do you think that is? That we're no happier today than we were 50 years ago. And she said two words, social comparison. That we evaluate our own internal happiness more on as a comparison to the guy we're standing next to in line at Starbucks or the greener lawn two doors down. That our lives, our our well-being, our happiness is so wrapped up in the social comparison, that as that person gets a little happier, I get a little happier, and we go back and forth, but as a general rule, statistically flat on the happiness factor. We have, in essence, in our own lives, sacrificed the biblical concept of presence, meaning, peace, and hope. We've sacrificed those really great things for the frenetic, up-and-down, stressed-out, and absent life that society has brought us to. Because of this social comparison, this back and forth, we live a life that is not what God designed. And so this morning, our hope is that during this present series, we would each of us, all of us, take time to reflect on our own sense of value, our own sense of presence, that we would take a deep breath, press pause, and contemplate the condition of our soul that we would find rhythm in our lives, that would allow us to be more present for each other, to be more present for our families, and more importantly, to be more present with God. I don't know that anyone could have predicted the crazy, hectic nature of the political climate that we find ourselves in, the holiday season on one end, and the Cubs in the middle, So it feels as if our lives are even more frenetic than than is normal. But in order to live a life that is more fully present, we have to learn to do some things differently. So I'm going to walk us through kind of a multi-step plan for for getting into a position in which our lives can be more present for each other and for ourselves and for God. But in order to do that, I just want to give you some advance warning. There will be some homework. So at the end of this, I'm going to give you some things to do this week on your own. So if we are to live a life that is a little bit more about being present in the here and now, there are some things we need to do. First, each of us needs to realize that God has a unique plan for each one of us. God has a plan for you and God has a plan for me. Look at what Jeremiah chapter 29 says. If you, if you brought a Bible, open it up to Jeremiah chapter 29. If you didn't, it'll be on the screen behind me. But Jeremiah, who is a prophet of God, put on this earth to be the voice of God to his people, to communicate the words of God, says this in a letter written to a, a group of people who are trying to be present. Jeremiah says this, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So so Jeremiah is giving the words of God to the people, and he's saying, I know the plans that I have for you, says God. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you hope and a future. You will seek me, and I will let you find me. If no one has ever told you this before, let me be the first to tell you. You have a purpose in this world, a purpose given to you by God. And I believe wholeheartedly that much of the hectic and stressed out way in which we live our lives comes from a lack of ownership in this truth. We move through life at a crazy breakneck speed trying to catch up or acquire or stay afloat. And I think we do this because we don't believe or embrace or trust the fact that God has a plan for you. We don't like to sit in the reality of that truth. It's uncomfortable because it means that I have to do something with my life. And I think we struggle with this concept because because each one of us has something unique to do and the world pushes against that mission, that calling, that purpose in your life. In my work, I have come across literally hundreds of people who have never taken the time to discover their unique and God-given purpose. And if you hear nothing else today, hear this. God loves you and has a beautiful, unique, and extraordinary plan for your life. In fact, say that with me. God loves me. No, that didn't feel like you meant it. So say that with me. God loves me me. and has has a plan for my life. Now take a deep breath and let that sink in. Do you know what that means? It means that God, who is rich in mercy and grace, who loves you intensely, has put you on this earth for a reason, for a purpose. Your life has meaning and the kingdom of God needs you in it. And I believe that the frenetic, all-encompassing, I'm way too busy, I'm exhausted at the end of the day, that way of living is a distraction to the unique God-given purpose for you and for your life. In fact, I would go on to say that I believe that the reason we live our lives like that is because we know we want to do something great and we're trying so desperately to make that happen that we don't trust and relax and lie back into the fact that God has a unique and wonderful plan for your life. And as I talk to my friends and my neighbors, they talk to me about the discontentment and the anxiety that they experience in life. And I got to admit, my church friends are no different than my non-church friends. And as a pastor for a very long time, it's been my experience that most people are not living into God's promises, purpose, or plans for their lives. Too few of us grasp the fact that we were born equipped, already equipped to do great things for God. Perhaps this is why we have so little confidence in our own future. Perhaps this is why we live such stressed out lives. Could it be because we fail to believe or trust that God has a unique plan for me, and we spend hours and hours and hours trying to find meaning and purpose, and we call that life when it is right there in front of us for the taking? I read a book a number of years ago by an author called, his name is Viktor Frankl. He's a kind of father of some psychology, and he's a Holocaust survivor, and he wrote this book in 1959 called Man's Search for Meaning. It is a great book. And in there, he wrote this simple but profound line. Life is never made unbearable by circumstances, but only by lack of meaning and purpose. Life is never made unbearable by circumstances, but only by the lack of meaning and purpose. So much effort and energy in our world today is directed towards this making of a life, making of a living, I mean. And I've been, I've been all over the world. I've sat in grass huts. I've sat in tents. I've sat in cinder block homes. I've sat face to face with those who have nothing and those who have a lot. And here is what I have learned from that experience. That whether you live in a tent, a hut, a cinder block house, or whether you live in a great house in the western suburbs of Chicago, what matters most is your own personal sense of presence with God, presence with others. We live in the most advanced and privileged society to ever walk the planet. And everywhere I go, I see people disengaged with the people and the world around them. Part of my travels this month took me to Iraq, where I spent five days visiting several refugee camps. In fact, I'll be honest, I'm still really processing much of what I saw. But one of the most profound learnings from my time is that the people, even people who have endured severe trauma, long for purpose and meaning. And when a life regains a rhythm in which purpose and meaning are involved, presence and happiness and hope and peace begin to come back into an individual's life. I sat in these refugee camps filled mostly with women and children. And I saw peace in the faces of these refugee women. Why? Why, after all they have experienced, after all the trauma they have gone through, why is there peace in their eyes, peace in their face? I think it has a lot to do with surrendering. The refugee has, by definition, let go of it all. You and I are working so hard to keep it all. The refugee surrenders everything. And you and I tried to make everything. God calls us to make a life. But so many of us are focused on making a living. God is less concerned about our jobs as he is about our character, our relationships, and our ability to be fully present. But we live in this tension, this inner conflict over what we perceive to be our external life, this this making a living versus our internal life, this making of our own life. And it's a struggle. Our greatest challenge is to discover our own unique purpose, our God-given purpose, and then find extraordinary ways to live that out, to impact our world. Today, we, we are not today what we were yesterday. And we will not be tomorrow what we are today. We are in a constant state of change. This change, for the person who follows Jesus, is called transformation. That as we live our life on purpose, we are transformed more into the image of who Jesus is. And so if step one is to identify and believe in the fact that God has a plan, the second step in this idea of building a rhythm of presence is to recognize that I have to change, that I have to be transformed. Scripture is filled with illustrations of transformation, but probably the most obvious is the life of Paul. Paul had his entire life turned upside down for God. So so, So much transformation took place that God even changed his name. And Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, these words. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul is urging us this morning to not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformation, the process of change, puts us in this unique position of discerning God's will, his perfect will, that as we transform, that as we change, as we focus on what is most important, our minds would experience God's will, his perfect and pleasing will. Paul's challenge is not to be caught into the same patterns and routines of everybody else, but to be transformed. Renew your mind. Set out to focus your mind on things that are different, things that are not of this world. And as a result, we will value different things. We will embrace different truths and we will live our lives differently. Paul, later in the book of Philippians, in chapter four, puts it this way. Paul, at this point, is in prison, chained to a guard. And he says in Philippians chapter four, rejoice in the Lord always. In fact, I'm going to say that again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, these are, this is where the renewing of the mind comes to be whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, there's a lot in that passage of Scripture Let's rejoice in whatever situations we are. Let our gentleness be evidence to all. God is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But with prayer and petition and with the attitude of thanksgiving, present your needs to God. And finally, renew your mind by focusing on whatever is true and noble and right and pure and whatever is lovely and admirable. And then he leaves us with this so important truth because in the midst of transformation, there can be fear and anxiety. And so he concludes with this very brief statement, and the God of peace will be with you. You see, I think part of the biggest, part of the fear involved with transformation And so we don't trust in the reality that God, if he is transforming us, if he's called us to something and he's transforming us for that, then he will be with us. He will not abandon. He will not forsaken. He will not step away from you. This book, this Bible, is meant to be a reflection we are intended to look at it, to read it, to study it, to know it, and to see in which ways in which our life matches up and to see ways in which our life does not match up and to be transformed so that the Word of God lives and breathes and comes out of us. Now, let me just pause for a second. And I've said this before. You've heard me say this before. But because I think this is such an important book for us to be invested in, to be reading, and I know that people get to a point where they read this book and they go, I don't understand what, is, what the book is telling me. I don't understand the words on the page. Here's what I want to encourage you with. Get a different Bible. There are hundreds of translations of this word. Find one in which the words make sense to you. Find one in which the words come off the page and make it easy for you to continue to read. Because this book, the words contained in this book, the concept of renewing our minds is critical to living a life more present than ever before. So there's a third and final step. First is recognizing and believing that God has a plan for you. Trusting in the transformation that must take place. And then third, we need to reflect and evaluate. This is where people struggle the most. This is where the whole thing gets a little squishy and soft. But once we accept the truth that God has a plan for our lives, and as we transform our lives to live out that plan, we also need to take a step back and reflect and evaluate the trajectory of our life and the health of our soul. So I want to encourage you to do two things. This is where the homework comes into play. I want to encourage you to do some, to take some time over the next couple of days and reflect on your life. To reflect on the ups and the downs, the losses and the wins, the good, the bad, the ugly. For some of you, it will take a very long time. For others of you, not so long. But I want you to take a moment. Maybe it's in the safety of your life group, or maybe it's with a spouse or a friend, or maybe it's just with you and a cup of coffee. But to reflect over the years of your life and ask yourself a very simple but very difficult question. What do I hope to accomplish with the rest of my life? What do I hope to accomplish with the rest of my life? I have a friend who has the most adorable little boy. He's this little blonde-headed kid who just runs through life. He loves life. He's just wild and crazy and out there. The little boy's name is Dash. And I asked my friend, why did you name your son Dash? And he said, well, you know how on your tombstone, they put your birth date and the date of your death? I said, yeah. He said, well, your life is represented by the dash in the middle. And he said, I want my son to be focused on his dash and making his dash everything it can be. Well, that's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to take this very simple question and evaluate the dash. Evaluate what is left of your life. However long God has you on this planet, what God do you want me to do with the rest of my dash? And so once you've done that, taken some time to reflect on that question, now it's time to evaluate your current state, where you are today. Now, here's my theory about life. I believe that all of us have various domains in our life. In fact, I think there's five of them. We have these five domains in our life. We have a personal domain. We have a family domain. We have a vocational domain. We have a faith domain. And then we have a fifth domain, which is community. We live out in our friendships and our relationships this fifth domain. Now, I think what happens in life as we get busy and as we get frenetic and as we get a little crazy out there in life, that those become fragmented, disjointed, ununified. We live one way at work. We live one way at home. We live one life with our family, one life with our friends, and we're different people to different, different people in different times and with different meaning. And what I think is most important is that we bring all of that together. We live one life with one God-given purpose. And so in your bulletin, I provide you a little worksheet. We're not gonna do it here, but I want to challenge you that when you sit there and reflect on that really big life question, that you'll also take a moment and reflect and evaluate your current state of your life. That you'll take those five domains and you'll run them through this matrix. For example, you'll take the personal domain, and you'll say, what's right? And you'll write down a couple of things and say, this is what's right about my personal domain. Well, what's wrong? What's broken in my personal domain? I'm working too much. I don't have enough time for me, for my family. What's confusing? What do I need to get clarity on in my own personal domain? And then the fourth category, what's missing? If I don't add this, this isn't going to end well. And you work through all five domains, personal, family, vocational, spiritual, or faith, and then community, your friendships. What's right? What's wrong? What's missing? What's confusing? Now, i got to be honest with you. I use this matrix a lot in my life and in my work and with my family. You can use it anytime you want. But I want to encourage you to take a snapshot of your life today and evaluate your purpose, the plan that God has placed in your life, the transformation, how am I doing in terms of transforming into the person God wants me to be? And then what is next for my life? That sense of open-handedness with what it is that God would have for me. So I recognize that that feels soft and squishy, and maybe you don't, you're like, I don't really want to sit in a coffee shop and work on this little card that Dave gave me. Push against that. Fight that. And I really do encourage you to take a moment sometime this week, ask yourself that question, and take an evaluation of where your life is today. Now, as we conclude, I want to wrap up with the Lord's Prayer. You might be thinking, what in the world does that have to do with anything that Dave's just talked about? When Jesus prays this prayer, he gives us a pattern, not only to pray, but a pattern in which to embrace life. Let me read it to you. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God is God and you are not. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You have a better plan than I do. Give us today our daily bread. You will provide all I need. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. At the end of the day, God is going to protect me. He is never going to leave me. He is never going to forsake me. Wherever you are, whatever stage of life you're in, whatever your current picture looks like today, hear this. God loves you, has a plan for your life. That plan requires transformation. And that transformation requires reflection. An evaluation of your heart, your life, and your soul. Father, as we conclude this morning, as we turn our hearts and our minds to this next moment of reflection, would your word come true into our hearts and to our minds, that as we listen to these songs, as we sing these songs together, would you fill our hearts and our minds with your word, that we would embrace the reality, the truth, that you love us, and you have a plan for our lives. Would you allow us in this moment to be fully present with you? Amen. That's the story, isn't it? Take a sinner like me, broken, wounded. You make it beautiful. That's what God does. That's God's desire for each of us. So as you leave here this place, as you leave here today, you walk out those doors, ready to enter into the frenetic life that you have. Recognize that God loves you and he has a beautiful and unique plan for your life. God, as your church leaves the building today, will you give us the boldness to evaluate and to reflect? Will you give us the courage to allow transformation to take place in our lives? And will you strengthen us to live the life that you've called each one of us to live? We're so grateful that you take our broken, tattered lives and make them beautiful again. We give you all the glory and the honor. It's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. If you need some prayer, there'll be some folks out here that would love to pray with you. Otherwise, have a blessed week.